A reverend, a wife, and a babysitter's lives would forever change after crossing paths. And their journey would be a long one. Their story has everything a small town in Connecticut needs to cause a media frenzy. Everyone is desperate to figure out the truth. And even 150 years later, people are still wondering, how did Mary Stannard's killer get away with murder? We are your hosts, Sherry Ferreira and Helen Allen. This is The Chalk Line. Good evening, everyone, and the highlights of the news this Thursday. It's 1878 in Madison, Connecticut. Whoa. (laughs) I did not expect that. No, I know. When we first talked about it, I was like, yeah, it's in the 70s. It's It's 1800s. Oh my God. I make fun of you because you go, it's in the 70s or the 1800s. And I was like, the 70s or the 1800s? You've got to be more specific. It was like somewhere in the middle, 1878. Okay, 1870s. Gotcha. At the time, the population only stood at around 1,600 people. In Madison? Yeah, in Madison, Connecticut. And our story starts in the spring. And the local reverend needed a babysitter. Reverend Herbert H. Hayden was born in the 1850. Not in the 1850, he was born in 1850. (laughs) We don't know how to talk about the past. Yeah, ever. (laughs) Not this old. And so this makes him, at the time of our story... 28 years old. He's had a good life from what I could tell about his autobiography that he goes on to write. He had working parents, grew up in Taunton, Massachusetts, and interestingly enough, he describes his like calling to be a reverend as one that he absolutely did not want. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Apparently, he was very adamant about not serving, quote, the mighty one. And was actively praying against it. Oh my god, not him praying to God that God would stop loving him. (laughs) Exactly, but like... He's like, God, please! please. Pick someone else! Oh my god, what do I have to do? The opposite of a pick-me. He's like treating God like that crazy ex-boyfriend. Oh my god. (laughs) Right? Like, stop calling me, but what are you doing? You know? God, why are you calling on me constantly? He was... Yeah, so you could tell he was... Yeah, he had a lot of stuff going on. But... Somewhere along the way, it was undeniable for him, and he goes on to become a reverend. He goes on to marry Rosa Hayden, and they had three kids. Reverend Hayden would eventually become the local Methodist preacher in their small town, and it's said in my research that they were very poor and fairly young to sort of have this all on their plate. Okay. Like I said, it's spring, and the Haydens really wanted to go out to have an oyster dinner, something I know you would, like, love. Yes, but not them being bougie while being poor. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Oh, mean, my God. Right. Who am I to judge? That's my life. <laughs> <laughs> they were making it work. They were making it work. But, like, they didn't want their kids there, and... Can I actually say something really weird and off topic? Yeah. So I was watching this one video of, like, most expensive foods in their time, and da-da-da, and, like... Like, things like lobster are expensive now, but in the past, they weren't expensive at all because there was tons of them, and, like, that's what people usually did. So, honestly, oysters were probably just not expensive back then. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Anyway, back to the story. No, it gives a lot of perspective because in my research, it's a lot of 
news from that time, but it also is infused with sort of a lot of biases and not mm-hmm. really a lot of like set um yeah it's hard to get perspective of what it was truly like in 1850 yeah i mean who who could who's alive from then no one so that's like good (laughs) to know stuff written down so i I saw that in a youtube video so just uh, take it with a grain of salt (laughs) no but i believe it was one of those good ones though where they have like kids try things from like oh that's (laughs) (laughs) you know how i get into those holes yeah of course of course but look it's, good, it's of good use now. Yeah, you learn something new. So the Haydens, like I said, didn't want their kids there and just kind of needed a night away for themselves. So Mrs. Hayden calls Mary Stannard to come over and babysit, which is good because she was a servant of theirs for some time before. So they know her and know her work. And they're like, Mary girl, come on. We, we need you. you. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So here's a little bit about Mary. She was 22 years old and a single mother. She had a two-year-old boy, and mind you, it's 1878, so this is, like, a big no-no. Yeah. Especially because she did not give up the identity of the father, but on some reports, I did see that he was imprisoned. Okay, so the father was never, like, in the picture. It's not like he passed away or anything. She just became pregnant with no one in particular, like... Yes. She was with. Okay, gotcha. Exactly. She had been working at another village for about a year now, but she too was very poor. Mary lived with her father, Charles Stannard, at the time, and Mary's sister also lived with them, so it was by no means like a small home. I mean, there's three adults and toddler and not a lot of money coming in, so mm-hmm. I can imagine they faced some struggles with that. Yeah. So any extra money that she could make, I mean, opportunity, hello. It was also said that Mary had a close relationship with her sister, and they just were, like, one big family. I mean, like I said, it's I'm sure they struggled a bit, but it was all love, and they were making it work. Cute. So she goes over one night, and it's unclear exactly what the reasoning was, but out of nowhere, Reverend Hayden just didn't want to go to dinner anymore. Okay, <clears throat> but... So did he, like, cancel on her, the No. Mary still came over to watch the kids. I guess they just wanted to not have to watch over them and did another thing. It wasn't clear what they it's did like exactly. like home date night or something? Yeah, that's what I'm guessing, but it was very He's weird. He's like, you know what, maybe oysters are expensive. <laughs> yeah, he was like, you know what, maybe we could just stay home and have Mary come over and it could just be about us. Okay, gotcha. Something to that effect, at least. <clears throat> Months go by and it's September 3rd. And Mary's dad is a little worried. Nothing too concerning, but Mary had said that she needed to do something earlier that afternoon, and she wasn't back yet. Mary had told her dad that she was going out to collect berries, like blueberries, in the woods, because, like, what the f- else would you do in 1878? Literally. <laughs> like, she was like, Dad, like, imagine going like, to your That's da- not how I picture 1878. Oh, my, like, right? Being, a like... A bonnet, and, um, like, collecting blueberries. She she wore a bonnet. She wore a <laughs> huge sunbonnet. Like, I'm factually. I'm sure she did. I can see it right now. Oh, my God. Wait, I have a question. Yeah. So, what does that one night have to do with this now? It's just to sort of say that she did know Reverend Hayden and Mrs. Hayden. I mean, they did have a sort of relationship, and it'll play a lot into our story later on. Okay. I just didn't know if I should be, like, specifically remembering that it was oysters. I mean, that's ingrained in my head now. Oh, because you love oysters. But, no. (laughs) Was that, like, some sort of alibi? But then it's months later, so it doesn't seem like Mary's dead. So I don't know. Well, we'll get a lot more into 
that night and sort of how that comes into play later on. Gotcha. But it's just to say that Mary was over that <clears throat> night. Okay, so she, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. She's collecting berries in the woods. Oh, yeah. Okay. So her dad's like, okay, you keep me so on track on these things. <laughs> so her dad was like, maybe she got caught up doing something else, but it shouldn't take someone hours to do that so i would get bored of that after maybe 20 minutes even in 1870 and like 20 minutes even would feel like oh my god you ever pick berries yes it's not like (laughs) (laughs) it's like okay after a while you just start getting the raw in ones and you're like you know what just give me them all i'm so tired of this what kind of berries where is she getting these like golden berries where there's (laughs) i mean could you imagine like so many berries for it to be more than 20 minutes worth of work i don't she must have been in, like, the Holy Grail of Berries, but she did go to the woods, too, so I'm like, how good were those berries, Mary? Yeah, they weren't getting but lots of sunlight. At all! Unless it's, like, the woods, like, in Shrek, where, like, um, you know. Um, no. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna entertain this Shrek <laughs> nonsense. Not today. If I can bring it up, I will. <laughs> so, at around 5 p.m., Mary's dad is fully worried enough that he goes out to look for Mary, and... What he does find would leave anyone traumatized. Mary's dad was looking through the Rockland area near their home and found Mary dead. So is this in the woods? Yep, in the woods. He found her lying on her back with her arms crossed over her chest. It was clear that she had a bruise forming like on her head and a weird wound in her throat. Okay. She still had her clothes on, but the sunbonnet that she wore was placed next to her body and stained with blood. Oh my god. She was wearing a bonnet. Yeah, I told you. She was! (laughs) She was! Immediately, it's clear that something terrible has happened to her. Mary's dad calls for help, and it's not clear who exactly shows up to take Mary's body, but from what I researched, it said that people just sort of showed up to help. Bull. Yeah. I like local townspeople, like a doctor, <laughs> and Reverend Hayden even shows up to, like, help carry her body and bring her home. Okay. But, like, should I be concerned that, like, you're not specifying that the police came? So, at this time, it's unclear whether there was an established sort of, like, protocol for what police were to do in cases like these. It is noted that they do have a judge and trials and police officers, but I don't know if they really had a sort of, like, set, decided, like, if a crime occurs, police are going there, or is it a doctor's thing where someone is sick and something like that does need medical attention, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay, I see. So they all show up to help bring Mary's body home. Part of my research where I got a lot about this case was the Hartford Current. And in it, they reference a lot of news reportings from, quote, The Current. So it's unclear whether they're meaning themselves or another news outlet at the time. Okay. But this specific article was written in 2014 by Julie Stagus, and it really had a lot of the information that I thought was less biased than others. Okay. Jumping off that, the current that the Hartford Current talks about in the article was like on the because they were releasing stories about this every week. Oh, wow. Like it became really intense in the media, especially when the doctors examined Mary's body and they found that she had several cuts on her, a fractured skull, which was ultimately the cause of her death, and 50 grains of arsenic in her stomach. <sighs> This This is the original Murder on Middle Beach. Oh, wait, what? You know that documentary, Murder on Middle Beach? No. 
Okay, where have you been in the last year? Everybody wants no to watch man. that. Really? Is it good? I don't know. I didn't watch it. It was honestly. Oh kind of my boring. god! <laughs> <laughs> Everyone talks about it though, but it's it was honestly kind of boring to me. But anyway, it takes place in Madison, Connecticut. Really? Yeah. So anyway, this was the original, oh, okay. but that joke didn't fly. Yeah. Okay, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> so Mary was poisoned, right? Fully, and it was said that it was enough poison. To like kill the entire town, like way more. I know what in the it world. It was an account from I that is like <laughs> such overkill. I, I can't know. even imagine. Could you imagine what that looks like? No, I couldn't. Is but that tubs? Of I, don't know. I don't. It was a quote from buckets. <laughs> Could you? I can't. I can't fathom. Perspective but, from me. I, I really can't. It was a quote from some guy in the town. Some guy? Yeah, like, d- later on. But then again, all the people on the scene were some guy. Yeah, were some guy. So they which seemed m- to be credible, I guess. Yeah. How credible is at the time. Literally. When the doctors were examining Mary's body, the current in 1878 reports that an outrage was not committed upon her, meaning that she had not been raped. I just thought it was an interesting, oh like, yeah, an way to phrase that. but Interesting, you know. yeah. In the next couple of days, Mary's family hold a funeral for her. And this, like I said, blows up in the media. I mean, she was a young girl, a, singer, a single mother, and was apparently poisoned. It was just, what I'm assuming, too much for this small town to handle. I'm sure. <laughs> Do you know, by chance, like, how the media treated her? Because, like, we were saying that, like, in the 1870s, obviously, it wasn't really, like, great to be a single mother. So they definitely weren't painting her in this beautiful light. I mean, from the reports that I saw, it was just basic flashes of young girl, single mother. Like, it didn't insinuate anything horrible, but it definitely wasn't, like, painting her in this beautiful light. Right, okay. The media, like I said, were really heavily invested in this, and I think they do some, like, unintentional investigation of their own because they do find out the truth of what happened and sort of the mystery surrounding her death because we don't really know who poisoned her, how she got those injuries on her when she went into the woods. Mm-hmm. And so a current reporter like from that news outlet I was mentioning mm-hmm. was digging into Mary and her life because the death was so odd and the reporter found out that she was having an affair that started in the spring no yeah this is why that so, night was important this is why that night was important no <laughs> when Mary was asked by a reverend no less yeah like ew no wonder he was asking God to not pick him mm-hmm, He's a uh, nasty literally When Mary was asked to come over and babysit that night, Reverend Hayden made sexual advances toward her, which led them to, like, have coitus. I use that word specifically. Okay. I don't love it, I have to be honest. (laughs) From here on out, we're going to refer to him as Hayden and not Reverend Hayden. just Because he doesn't deserve it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You get it. I'm on the same page. Good. It was even reported that Hayden actually attended her funeral, which adds mm-hmm. another layer of creepiness. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And he was in the back in all black holding an umbrella. It was raining. Okay. No, I'm kidding. Not the JFK. <laughs> <laughs> he had on a big cardigan and crossed it over his stomach. Wait. <laughs> 
like in the back with the umbrella and it's raining. I know you were thinking of like a scorned love. Yes, yes. Me, I was like, oh my god, the guy with the umbrella at the JFK assassination. Oh my god. <laughs> this is I like can't. a difference between me and you. Yeah, it perfectly <laughs> describes our personalities. I'm like so drama and you're like, no, back then when JFK was assassinated. <laughs> back then. JFK was not in the 1870s. I'm still pretty old. I mean, okay. <laughs> Not close, but not me aging JFK. I know. <laughs> How old? When do you think he oh served? <laughs> my best guess. I want to say like 1950s. Okay, that's better than I thought. Really? Okay. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Wow. I'll take that. Pat on the back. I'll look it up just to have the exact year so no one's like, Helen, you didn't even know it, did you? Yeah, it was 1963. So like oh. late 50s. And then. Not me being the history buff of this podcast. Hello. <laughs> When Hayden was at the funeral, it was very creepy for some. Like, this man of God is sinning. And if the story wasn't already crazy, it gets lit up in flames now. Because when this comes out, people start speaking on their affair. And quote, some of the spectators thought he betrayed unusual emotion. The circumstances of the murder were so overwhelmingly against the clergyman that surprise was expressed that he was not at once placed in custody. Apparently, rumors spread around the town, whether that be by the purported things that Mary was saying, because like I said, some people say that she was saying this around town, Mm -hmm. or if it was just people accusing him out the gate. But a lot of people were surprised that he wasn't arrested immediately after because everyone knew about this. Interesting. Just three days after the murder, Hayden is arrested, which I think was heavily influenced by people's speculation and just the media and also because Hayden couldn't verify where he was at the time of Mary's murder. Oh. I mean, no one knew where he was and this was enough for police at the time. Or law officers, as they were called. Yeah, I mean, like, why wouldn't he be able to verify that? Like, he has a family, so... I mean, I know as, like, a parent... I'm not personally a parent, obviously. But I know as a parent, like, your whereabouts are pretty, like, known most of the time. Because you... If you're not with your kids, you're having... You, like, arranged your kids being somewhere else. So, like... You know what I mean? It's not like he'd just be like, I don't know. That's weird. What was I doing? And because he is a reverend, I'm like, most of your time is spent with the congregation regardless. So it's like, you're that your kids are at the church. So it's, why are you being weird about this? Where do you think you could be, sir? Exactly. Like, Like you're a grown man. Options are limited. Very. Whatever. (laughs) This guy's sketchy (laughs) as hell. Very sketchy. Later that September, Hayden had a pretrial hearing that resulted in the case being dropped because there was a lack of evidence. A year later, in October, Hayden gets put on trial again. Though the case was reportedly dropped, he was kept in prison during that whole time. What? How does that make any sense? I I don't know. I'm glad, because I think he did it. Okay. But like... Weird. I'm also not for, like, a janky justice system. Neither was I, which is how it looks like it was back then. Mm-hmm. I guess a year later, they had more evidence to convict him on because it comes out that Hayden kept arsenic in his barn. Arsenic. Arsenic? Arsenic? Arsenic. 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 Have you ever seen How the Grinch <clears throat> Stole Christmas? I So many times. <laughs> yeah, he has arsenic. In arsenic. Veins. Arsenic. Arsenic. It's arsenic. Arsenic. (laughs) His new trial, or 
His trial was held in New Haven, Connecticut, and was infamously called the famous barn arsenic trial. Interesting. Never heard of it. <laughs> Couldn't be that famous. So, yeah. <laughs> Like, where'd you find this, honey? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Hayden was officially indicted by a grand jury on the charges of first-degree murder. And this trial would just not quit. They were in such a back and forth about what happened and who was truly guilty that at the time it became the longest murder trial in Connecticut history. Because no one wanted to believe it was a reverend? No one wanted to believe it was a reverend. There wasn't a lot of evidence. But like, if not him, who? It's not like they had another suspect, did they? Which is, no. I chalk it up to just the justice system at that time. Mm-hmm. But Well, I mean, because the first people on the scene were just people. Yeah, guys. just me and you. Like, literally, (laughs) just some bozos that were like, a dead body? I'm coming. At once, like. (laughs) No gloves. Not that that would matter then. Right. even have fingerprinting technology. Oh my god, right? Like, how do you even solve a murder? Again, reminds me of the John Mulaney thing where they're just like, mop it up. Oh you know yeah! I mean? Oh my God! Yeah, is there a puddle of blood over there? Mop it up. We'll get to it. Like we have more. Gross. Mop it up. <laughs> He's like, give me a whiteboard and a marker. I'm gonna solve this by today. Draw a chalk a line around it. Yeah. Oh, chalk a line. line? The, the name of our podcast. I'm sorry, I just had a stroke. I couldn't even <laughs> say the name of our podcast. A line of chalk. But the chalk line. The chalk line. Do you guys get why it's called the chalk line now? Because you know, like around the dead bodies. The so car- it was the longest murder trial in Connecticut's history. Yes, very, all the drama, all the drama. The current later reported during the whole trial, which lasted 17 weeks, the jurors slept in the courtroom on cots, which were brought in by the deputy sheriffs. Oh my God, this is literally the jankiest thing I've ever heard. Could you imagine if you got called for jury, summoned for jury duty, oh. and then also they were like, and you have to sleep on a cot in the courtroom. Oh, oh, I feel like... I, I revoke my citizenship. Yeah, I don't agree. I have dual citizenship. I'll just be in Brazil. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, fine. Leave me alone. Same. Bye. The jurors were guarded day and night by a squad of sheriffs who had received orders from the court not to allow them to communicate with anyone. So it was very, very intense. During trial, Hayden actually admits to having bought arsenic that same day to kill rats. Hmm. Apparently, that was a common remedy back then. Yeah, it totally was. Yeah. That's how we know arsenic. Yeah. (laughs) That's how we know how to pronounce it. The Grinch, rats. Yeah. Hayden says that the arsenic is in his barn, and he kept it there after purchasing it. During the hearing, a friend of his actually went to the barn and found an ounce of the arsenic, which is the exact amount he claimed to buy. So to him, this meant, oh, he's telling the truth. Like, calm down. And he's- Or Hayden knew how much was going to be left because he bought way more Mm. and he didn't use it all. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to put two and two together, but he goes on to testify and says, if I was as sure of heaven as I am that Mr. Hayden is guiltless, I should rest content. Mr. Sheriff release the prisoner. Who said that? Some, it was his friend that went to go check on the arsenic in the barn. Okay. And can we assume that his friend believes in God the same way that Mr. Hayden does? Mm, Oh, ah, ah. (laughs) did he also pray to God to not be a reverend? Like, I'm sorry, but I don't really believe this whole Christianity front. Very backwards. It's very backwards. During the trial, not only did Hayden take the stand, but his wife did as well. 
and Mary's dad and sister also spoke. More than 100 witnesses testified. That includes 12 professors, eight of which were from Yale and 15 medical doctors. Wow. And they were all giving divided stories, which did not make the trial any easier. I mean, they were equally split on Hayden did it and Hayden didn't do it. Okay. Hayden and his wife deny Hayden's involvement profusely. Hayden claims that he was piling a small amount of wood during the time of Mary's death, which a convenient explanation that he now has in yeah. my eyes. Oh, is that why you forgot? Because mm-hmm. it's the stupidest thing ever. Like, I was I was picking up wood and putting it back. You were getting twigs. my alibi. I was making a pile. Yeah, oh my god. <laughs> okay. Just thinking of That's it. what you couldn't think of all this time? All this oh. time you had to think of an alibi and that's what you came up with? You were making a pile? I don't believe you. <laughs> like, you couldn't even, even be creative with what it. what he was doing... A person with a brain would have lied. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just not creative at all. It lacks any depth. Like, I hate it. Same. I hate him. Mary's family takes the stand and they tell an entirely different story. Mary told her sister in the days leading up to her death that she was pregnant with the reverend's baby. The witnesses chime in to say that the day Mary went picking for blueberries, Hayden had actually stopped by her family home and told her to meet him later, saying that he was in possession of a poison that would solve all of their problems, which meant that he gave the impression that it was some sort of abortion or something to help ease their worries, like, yeah, with like the baby. She, and it also, like, tells us that, like, maybe she was on the same page as him. Exactly. Like, in terms of that, obviously he was on a different page, but she thought that they were on the same page. Yeah. So she went willingly. From there, he committed what he thought was the perfect crime. But what was the most shocking is that if you remember the doctors who examined Mary's body, they said nothing about her being pregnant because she actually wasn't. Wait, what? What? (laughs) What? So this whole time, the crime that he went to such lengths to commit over a baby it was a wasn't false even pregnancy? there or did he not think she was pregnant from the trial and after researching all this i believe that he did think she was pregnant okay. and got scared and went there to meet her that day with the intention to kill her okay so that it wouldn't come out so that he could keep his reputation wow. and keep his family mary clearly thought she was pregnant and was reported to have told multiple people other than her sister so slowly the story is starting to all come together Mm -hmm. the prosecution now believed that mary trusted hayden and when he said he had a poison that he had manipulated her into thinking that like i said it was a medicine or something to help abort the baby right but somewhere during their meeting in the woods they think mary became suspicious after taking the quote-unquote abortion which led to Hayden hitting her on the head with a rock and cutting her throat. So crazy. They actually found the weapon he used to, like, make the cuts on her body, which ended up being a pocket knife that spurred a whole other debate of whether it had traces of human blood on it. When he was first found, or not when they were first found, when they were first looking into this, they went to talk to him which I believe was right before he was arrested, Mm -hmm. and saw that the blood did have some small specks of what they thought was blood on it. Okay. But, of course, they didn't keep it in a concealed bag, label it with a number, and, like, put it away for storage. That was just something that the law officers remembered him having. Right. And so they brought it up during trial, and boom, everyone's up and... Right, because it wasn't tested or anything. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Despite all of these testimonies, 
the jury is still not convinced. Partially because the town is so small that they say it wasn't possible to know what everyone else was doing, which I thought was super weird in and of it's itself. definitely weird. Because I'm like, if it's a small town, you could be like, oh, that's, that's Marge. That's Marge. That's mm-hmm. Bill. There's a little son candy. Like, yeah. it should be easy. But the jury say that they couldn't be sure that it was Hayden who witnesses say saw go into the woods that day. Mm-hmm. January 19th, 1880. This is now four months after the trial started. And after 82 hours of deliberating on the longest murder trial in Connecticut history, they had a decision. It really didn't need to be this long. It didn't. I'm just like, it's stressing me (laughs) out that it needed to take this long. The jury was composed of 11 people who all but one of them acquitted Mm. Hayden. This guy, David B. Hotchkiss, was the only one who was persisting Hayden's guilt. Love him. He was like, guys, come on. And he actually is guilty and he actually had two or three people who agreed with him but at the end they sort of gave in because of what i assumed they sort of succumbed to this long trial and was like you know what he's he can't be guilty yeah i mean if if it's the longest trial in connecticut's history then like that means that they were so exhausted and drawn out by it because they didn't expect it to be that long that like you know, maybe they just, like, gave up on, like, learning all of the things that they should have learned and thinking about it thoroughly. Exactly. Hayden, who at this point is 30, was released on bail and never tried again. During the year between Hayden's indictment and the trial, he was held in prison, like I said. And so that's when he decided to write an autobiography that details the whole trial. The book ended up being released a week after the trial ended and it's titled The Reverend Herbert H. Hayden, an autobiography, The Mary Stannard Murder Tried on Circumstantial Evidence. Just the longest title ever yeah, in history. That was like but too a much. lot of Oh my the most did the most too much. to just prove that he was innocent. And a lot of articles do pull from that to sort of describe what happened during this entire case and whether he was really guilty or not. But I believe that's kind of hard to do because it is written from his perspective which is a great testimony to that time but also is infused with so much bias yeah just because it's written by him mm-hmm. Hayden died <laughs> in New Haven 57 years old why are you in 1907 up? I'm cracking up because I'm like yeah he sucks and I'm like he died in New <laughs> Haven Connecticut at 57 in 1907 and this led a lot. <laughs> okay. A lot of people from Madison still believe he's guilty, like as. And of course he is. A lot of people believe the arsenic that was found in Hayden's barn was actually planted there, and so by that- who? By who? <laughs> if these people think this, I want a reason. I think. What do they think this for? <laughs> who? This is the thing. The trial lasted so long, there were no other suspects. I don't get that. I think what makes it really difficult is that so many people did know of their affair, then later the rumored pregnancy, that it all kind of gets jumbled into this small town rumor. Yeah. So it's hard to decipher what exactly is the truth and what's actually false. Mm-hmm. A lot of people still question why Hayden was acquitted. I mean, they had evidence, a lot of witnesses on both sides. So 
what was the reason behind letting this clearly guilty man go? I mean, that's what I think after doing my research is that he did do it because... I just think there's no other plausible answer. Exactly. And no other reason, no one else with motive to do it either. I mean... He was seen going into the woods that day, despite what people say about it being a small town. That's just I thought that was BS. Exactly. And yeah. I think he went in there with the intention of getting rid of this quote-unquote problem of his girl, I don't want to call her mistress, but of Mary being pregnant, you know? Yeah. No, yeah, definitely. And I think he looked like in the end. The current goes on to interview Horace B. Perry of New Haven. He was the only surviving juror from that trial in 1914. And he says this, Miss Hayden, the wife of the prisoner, a beautiful young woman, sat directly in front of the jury. How can we convict a man with a beautiful young wife like that? Some of the soft-hearted ones kept asking in the jury room as the days of the trial lengthened into weeks. Perry said in the current interview with him that the evidence, the eloquence of the array of legal talent and the cold charge of the judge counted little against the charm and magnetism of the wife of the minister accused of murder. I truly don't understand that. Get angry. If he had a beautiful wife, then that's more of a reason to convict him because he might kill her next. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to kill her next. The audacity. But it comes out slowly that Miss Hayden was the key to seal the decision for the jurors. Apparently, she was winning the court over with her appearance and her truthfulness. And it came down to, could they believe Mrs. Hayden? Like, it completely threw out any of the evidence, any of the witnesses, and it just became about her truth. And forget about Mary's. Thanks for listening. You can catch us on Instagram at the Chalkline Pod, Twitter at the Chalkline Pod, and follow along with our YouTube channel. The link is in our Instagram bio. Tune in next Thursday for another story.